Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Venture Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on today's podcast, we got some what we've been watching to talk about, and then we are going to move on into an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing Todd Phillips' new movie, Joker. And really excited to have uh, YouTuber and movie reviewer Bob Chipman for that review. Uh, It's going to be a lively one, I predict. Um, So stay tuned for that. But yeah, uh, that's what we got on tap for you today on the podcast. And this podcast today is brought to you courtesy of our sponsors this week, Eight Hours, Hunt a Killer, and Quip. Eight Hours, Hunt a Killer, and Quip. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Let's dive into the show. I had a chance to watch a few things this past weekend, gents. Uh, I had a chance to, first of all, see Vincenzo Natale's new film, In the Tall Grass, on Netflix. You guys heard of this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. It's like kind of their uh, their big, like, I, I think, like, Halloween movie, right? Is that sure. like... Um, cube, cube in grass. Right? <laughs> it's cube in grass, basically. Yeah, it's like their Halloween movie... Um, uh, because basically, if you log on to Netflix right now, like th- this is the movie that you see uh, splashed on the homepage. Uh, at least most people, you know, obviously everyone gets a different experience. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's based off of a novella uh, that's written by, I think, Joe Hill and Stephen King. Uh, and mm. I mean, the premise is extremely simple. It, they, people uh, hear a voice calling out to them from tall grass uh, after getting pulled over in their car. They and go then they and- go... In the in, tall grass? To, in the tall grass, yes. Um, <laughs> With no mowers. No mowers. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, here, here's the thing. It, it is difficult to make plant life scary. Uh, we've we've <laughs> run mean, into... Annihilation, you haven't seen. Annihilation did it. But also, you gotta, you a little go shop far. of horrors, bro. Come on now. Exactly. It's really yeah. hit or miss. It's really hit or miss. On the Free one hand, you have like... more? <laughs> you have Annihilation, which I think was like pretty thrilling. You have Little Shop of Horrors, which is you know, it, depending on which age you watch it, very scary or very amusing. But I would love you... to see Vincenzo Natale's Little Shop of Horrors. By the way, that would be <laughs> incredible. But then you also uh, have uh, movies like The Happening, you know, where hey, ma- trying to pl- make plant life look scary actually uh-huh. is really really challenging and uh, and not great. But I actually think. Vincenzo did a great job, and the movie uh, didn't go in the directions that I thought it would. Um, it wasn't just about tall grass attacking you. It was about other <laughs> things as well. It's like super trippy. Uh, the one movie it reminds me of, honestly, is Christopher Smith's Triangle, which is one of my favorite, oh, nice. um, uh, like kind of time travely movies uh, ever, you know, really love that movie. So Dave, how, how much time do people spend, uh, tucking their pants into their socks for this? Movie? <laughs> Not enough. I can tell you that uh, you really got to prepare yourselves when you're going to the tall grass. I'll also just say that Patrick Wilson's in this movie and you get to see him really go all out. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so this movie has a lot of things I love. And I think some of the visuals are great, super trippy. And, uh, it's got Patrick Wilson doing his thing. So, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, this movie has, has, I think, a forty percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now, uh, which led me to believe it would it, like that. Or at least it's it certainly led me to believe people thought it was terrible. And yeah, uh, I, I'm obviously a huge fan of Vincenzo's uh, and consider him a colleague and friend. Uh, but I really 
like this movie. I, I would recommend it as a solid horror movie. Uh, another horror movie it reminded me of for different reasons than than Christopher Smith's Triangle actually is uh, Gareth Evans' Netflix movie Apostle. Have you guys? Oh. have you seen Apostle yet? I haven't. Se- I still have been me. Oh my that. gosh, yeah. dude! Yeah, Devendra. You would love like Apostle. I know I will love it. I've been. This is one of those movies I've been waiting to watch it with my wife, and she's just never been in the mood for a crazy uh, cult movie. Oh well. I mean, that movie is so messed up. Like it, yeah. it's so deeply upsetting. Uh, and this movie ha- has flavors of that as well. So you know, after after the Joker, Dave, I can I can do anything. Um, <laughs> uh, when I when I watch In the Tall Grass, I think of movies like Apostle. I think of movies like Christopher Smith's Triangle, Christopher Christopher Smith's Triangle, and of course, you know, if you're a fan of Vincenzo Natale, probably uh, the, the movie that most people love of his is Cube, uh, which is kind of this indie horror thriller, uh, very low budget, very inventive, and uh, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Vincenzo's work. Check out In the Tall Grass; it's available on Netflix right now. I also had a chance to watch Hustlers. Uh, yes. My uh, my wife wanted to go see Hustlers. Went to the theater to go watch Hustlers. Uh, this movie is awesome. Uh, I it, it, and actually at this moment, as we're recording this right now, it is probably in my top ten of the year. Probably my top five of the year, to be honest. Nice. Um, yeah. Just because it, it has been a bruising year for movies in general. I have to say, like I there's there's been movies, many movies. Uh, that have come out this year that I just have not been a fan of. Other people I, I know and respect, like love a bunch of movies that came out this year. A lot of Midsummer fans out there. I I just uh, a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fans out there. I just like for some reason this movie year has just not jived with Dave Chen. Uh, but that being said, I saw Hustlers. I was dazzled by it. I I loved the filmmaking. Uh, Lorene Scafaria wrote and directed the movie. It is an intoxicating, addictive world that this movie creates. Uh, but really, it's a movie about female friendship and like this relationship between Constance Wu's character and Jennifer Lopez's character. And I found it to be quite touching. Jennifer L- Lopez is luminous, incand- incandescent in this I would movie. say the, the better adjective is impossible. <laughs> in what sense, Jeff? <laughs> how, how is she? How how do you, how is that possible? How yeah. she's the moment Jennifer Lopez walks out onto the stage of this movie for her her, her like introductory scene. I feel like it's life changing, right? It's your <laughs> life before seeing that wonderful scene, and then after she is. It's great. It's fantastic. She's a she's got to be a cyborg. There's no explanation. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean it, it's it, it is incredible what you're saying. But what's also remarkable about this movie uh, is that. Uh, it's like a movie about strippers, but that is like not very male gazy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's pretty male gazy. As somebody who was gazing at this movie and is a male, <laughs> I don't know. Well, but even yeah, even you were, in you were the gazing scene, as a male, yeah, 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 sure, sure. So by definition, your gaze is a male gaze. But like, <laughs> but I mean, I think that like, uh, it the only uh, the only frontal nudity is like a penis at one point. Uh, that's there, not there entirely some... true. There, there are some like uh, that's not entirely true. But also, just like it is titillating it in is in the sense in, that, in the scenes yeah, when it's... you watch like uh, like some of the the more graphic stripping, it's it's actually through the eyes of another female character. Yeah, and so I I think it's it's just like an interesting case study in that because like if this was made by a man, and actually like one of the first directors who was offered it was Martin Scorsese. 
that it would have been like a much different movie. And uh, mm-hmm. so I I love the style of this movie. The can- in, in many ways, I think this was inspired by Martin Scorsese. It's like the Goodfellas of the world of stripping. And I, I it's just like Dave didn't even listen to our episode, Devendra. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I listened to the episode enough to know that. You were not a fan, Jeff. So why don't you let's let's no, have that out a little true. bit. That is absolutely not true. Okay, okay. Well, tell tell us. About, I mean, tell us. About, I said I I said I was disappointed by the sentimentality at the end, but I thought I thought the movie was very enjoyable. I right, uh, I, right. I liked a lot of it. I just I just it was soured by how sort of sort of saccharine sweet it got at the end, and I think the movie had could have had a bit better backbone about its own. Um, moral ambiguity than that it could it didn't have to be so sentimental and um uh pat you know it's, it didn't have to be so uh easy easy mm-hmm. it, it could have put the uh, audience in a more difficult position than it did and i would have given it more respect than i did but i, I liked the so much the movie is very enjoyable it's a fun ride for sure yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Um, one of the complaints I've seen that has come up is like how the movie treats the men, right? Like, and like whether or not a the the heist, the 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 sort of hustle they do is even that interesting, and b uh, whether like it, it cr- creates too much sympathy for the victims. What was your guys' take on that? I don't think I mean, it creates sympathy. Oh well, I guess I did have a little sympathy for the yeah, victims. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I thought uh, I, I thought the the pure machinations of the of the heist <laughs> genre of the movie yeah. were was was fun. I thought it was like you know when we were in that procedural stuff. I thought it was all well done and and you know quick paced and and uh, I felt like I was on a ride, which you know the best movies in that subgenre do. But I do think that. I found myself going, that's not okay. And these are real people who really did this. And <laughs> I understand that like, you know, white male wall street dudes are okay to pick on right now. And, and, and probably are pretty shitty people in general, but like, we don't know it specifically that all these guys were shitty and like, you know, going to a strip club in general, isn't against the law. You know, it's, it's a, uh, <laughs> you feel like, you know, there probably were some, people swept up in this that didn't deserve to be probably, probably. I, I appreciated though that like the movie i think does a fairly good job at articulate like at justifying their actions you know what i mean like i i think insofar as it is possible like the you know J- jennifer lopez at one point like gives this extremely impassioned speech about how like everyone's on the take everyone's being hustled and so on uh, that I actually found to be convincing, maybe not because of the substance, but maybe just from the performance. So, and certainly at the beginning of the hustle, I think it's they feel justified. I think the audience feels like okay, they given the raw deal, a lot of these folks are going through. Like, I could see how they could justify it for themselves. And I think the movie does a good job of like following as things get increasingly crazy, and certainly not letting them off the hook on that. Well, that's Hustlers. It's out in theaters right now. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, actually, so I actually, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I watched Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, Martin Scorsese's nice. movies, uh, in preparation for Joker. And Not for the first time, right? You'd seen them before. I hadn't seen King of Comedy before. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was my first time watching it. And, uh, so they're both great movies. Um, I, like, Taxi Driver, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I actually like King of Comedy more than Taxi Driver. Yeah. I Taxi do. Driver is kind of a yes. rough movie. 
to really go through because yeah, it really takes you places. Like ta- like King of Comedy is a movie I can imagine watching many more times in my yes. life. Yes, you know, yeah, and yeah. like Taxi yeah, Driver. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, here, here's a question about King of Comedy, though, which is about Rupert Pupkin's quest to uh, make it in the big time. So I actually put – so spoilers for King of Comedy coming up, this movie that's decades old. But um, I put a poll up on my Twitter account about the ending of this movie, right? So the, for those who don't know what happens in King of Comedy, he kidnaps this guy played by Jerry Lewis who has his own talk show. And he's like, hey, y- you, you people who run this talk show are going to put me on the air or else – I'm going to kill Jerry Lewis's character. And they end up putting him on the air, or so you think. At the end of the movie, he theoretically gets put on the air. Uh, he does great, and then he goes to jail. Uh, but because his, his story is so compelling, he becomes famous uh, while he's in jail, writes a memoir, and then after he gets out of jail, uh, he makes it you know, in his own uh, uh, on his own TV show. And he, he becomes a personification of the American dream. Uh, do you guys think that the ending of this movie uh, happened in the reality of the film? Was it a fantasy of Rupert Cupkin <laughs> or was it intentionally ambiguous? What do you do? You have any opinion on that? Just curious. It's been way too long. Since yeah, I was going to say okay. I probably saw that 15 years ago. Um, the last time. I mean, I haven't watched the King of Comedy since college. Um, so. Uh, I mean, at the time, I think I took it at face value, but I I would need to revisit before being able to answer now. So I put a, t- a Twitter poll about this, um, and I asked, like, I, I should have put, is it intentionally ambiguous? Because that's what I think it is. Um, but I said, is the very end of Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy merely a fantasy in Rupert Pupkin's head? Uh, 49% of voters said, yes, it's a fantasy. 51% says, no, it's real. So I actually think there is some diversity of opinion out there as to whether huh. it's real in the reality of the movie. But uh, but uh, really, I think it's it's meant to be ambiguous. I think that throughout the entire movie, he's been fantasizing about like like it, it, you see versions of his fantasy throughout the whole movie of like what he think what he hopes will happen. And I think there's a case to be made that like everything before he goes up on stage is real and everything after that is a fantasy. But what's great about the King of Comedy is that whatever way you interpret it, it's still like a rich film. You know, like whether it's a fantasy, whether it's real, it has a point to make either way, in my opinion. And uh, that's what what I think is great about it. Um, So anyway, uh, I really loved watching this movie for the first time. And I'd recommend it. It didn't do very well when it was it came out in uh, you know in theaters at first, um, but uh, I think over time it's found its its audience, and certainly uh, it's a movie that heavily inspired Todd Phillips' Joker. So definitely, that's definitely. the king of comedy. I bought it on. I have to say, by the way, Dave, yeah. like bringing up all this Scorsese stuff, um, I feel like Hustlers. This is the way we want. I'd like to see directors pay homage to, you know, the earlier stuff two things they've loved uh, and we'll talk about this during joker but i think there are other ways to do it that don't work out so well so yeah all right, just all lifting right. so the style the tone i think i don't know for me that works so much better i would i would hope more people do that than like direct remakes right indeed well let's thank our first sponsor for today eight hours Devinder, tell us about eight hours sure eight hours is a new platform bringing you hand-picked and exclusive videos on film and television Eight Hours has curated over 5,000 videos into a free and easy resource for filmmakers and film lovers to learn their craft and get inspired. 
Now they're partnering with filmmakers and film professors to make unique original videos from their perspectives, uncovering fascinating aspects of technique, film history, and what inspires the creative decision-making process. All the choices that went into your favorite films. Their first videos include writer-director David Lowry explaining how Michael Mann's Heat inspired a scene in his crime comedy, The Old Man, The Gun. Professor Noah Eisenberg connects aspects of Billy Wilder's personal experience to his screwball comedy, Some Like It Hot, which is a great film. And cinematographer Eric Lynn demonstrates how vintage lenses helped Krim create a unique look for 2018 Sundance favorite, Hearts Beat Loud. Eight Hours wants to do their part to help connect the next generation of filmmakers with the resources they need to express their creativity through visual storytelling. And the best part, it's all free. So what are you waiting for? Start watching today at 8hours.com. Yeah, that's the numeral eight and then hours, H-O-U-R-S dot com. It's a super cool site. And if you're into the Slash Filmcast and you're into films and you're into directors talking about films uh, and you're into film history, it's a very cool site to check out. So 8hours.com. Thanks to 8 Hours for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Jeff Kanata, what have you watched this week? Well, I watched a, uh, a sort of an indie sci-fi movie that was recommended to me by my friend Danish Syed. I think you know him too, Dave. That is correct, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Really great guy. Uh, lives way too far away from me. But he, uh, he during my recovery from eye surgery sent me an audio message every single day with recommend uh, recommendations things he was experiencing cool ideas cool books he was reading tv shows just like kept every literally every day it was extraordinary and i'm so grateful it was really really wonderful of him to do that but one of the things he recommended with this movie prospect that he really enjoyed and so I sought it out and watched it. It's on uh, Hulu. Um, if you're subscribed to Hulu, I, which I am, um, it was free. I think it's also you can rent it on a bunch of other services. Um, it's a 2018 film uh, from a writer-director duo, Christopher Caldwell and Zeke Earle. And it stars uh, Sophie Thatcher, Jay Duplass, and Pedro Pascal. So people you know, and at least I know, and uh, enjoy the work of. But it is very much a um, one of those movies where you can see their limitations in the best way. You know, you have uh, you have there are these scrappy sci-fi movies where you know th- they're not able to get the uh, you know have the huge uh, visual effects budget or whatever, but they've got ideas and the ideas make up for it. And there's clever ways to to get a lot from a little. And I love that, you know, movies like uh, like uh, Primer and, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, of great sci-fi movies that are escaping me right now. But, you know, I love that thing where it's like, you know, we're just cobbling together money and and we're trying to write something that feels grand in a limited scope. Anyway, Prospect takes place on uh, in space uh, with sort of a, a group of people that go to these planets and mine gems that have value or they look like gems or almost like amber but they're stuck in little creatures that they find in the ground and it's also very vague and mysterious and the coolest thing about this movie in my opinion is the way it's written the the language of the movie it's written as if we are listening into a either far future or uh or just different planet slang it's it's these these uh, there's a a slang a vernacular 
that this time period and location has and all these characters speak in. So it's almost, you're not even catching every word, right? It, 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 it's very stylized. It's very heightened, mm-hmm. but you get the gist of what's happening and it creates this tapestry, this fabric of otherness of, uh, you know, you feel like you're, there's an authenticity to the, the difference, you know, it's like if somebody from, I don't know, 1820 came to today and they would have a hard time understanding all of the, our, our slang and then way, the way we talk and to capture that in a movie like this and to use that as a, as a fulcrum of the, of the science fiction experience, I, I find really interesting. Um, I didn't, I, I thought the ending was a little bit disappointing. It just sort of, it didn't land the, you know, the dismount for me, but overall an easy mo- to movie to recommend. And if you're like me, where you love scrappy, uh, ambitious sci-fi movies that are done on a shoestring, but make, make it seem, you know, like, like they've got a bigger budget than they actually have. Uh, I'd recommend this one. It's called prospect. Yeah. Uh, and I actually had a chance to interview the filmmakers behind prospect. Um, they oh, yeah? are local dudes. Uh, they actually shot, I think the entire film in Washington state. Uh, that's one of the, my favorite things about the movie is actually the look of it. Um, yeah. they, they, they managed to make, you know, forests in Washington look like another planet. And one of the ways they did that was by inserting a lot of dust into the air. Um, right. and you wouldn't think that dust would have that like visible dust would have that much of an effect, but it really is quite magical what they've been able to do. And it plays um, heavily into the plot because they've, the idea is that they've landed on this very hostile planet where you have to keep your helmet on or you'll inhale that dust. So it, it all, it's not just a visual aesthetic. It's, it's actually plays into the plot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I had a chance to make a YouTube video with them about how they designed the helmets of the film. Oh yeah. Um, so, Did you talk about this movie before? Because I don't remember hearing about it. Yeah, I think I mentioned it, but it would have been a long time ago. It would have been, uh, okay. been many well, months also, ago. Well, also I don't really listen to you. you I mean, you kind of <laughs> nod in and out when you're yeah. doing the podcast, uh, even when you're talking. I think. Yada so, yada yada. I say something. Yada yada. I say something. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, one of those people that kind of waits to talk rather than listens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. It's it, it makes <laughs> the podcast almost impossible to do, but. Anyway, I, I didn't um, really pay attention to any of that last part, but I'm glad you <laughs> you enjoyed my contributions on the show, Dave. So uh, I would highly recommend you check out uh, this video I made called "How to De- Like." It's about how to design the uh, how they designed the space helmets of Prospect. We'll link to it in the show notes, but it's fascinating. You know, like you'd think, uh, oh yeah, um, uh, space helmets. That's like easy. It's already been done before. But in fact, right, you want to make different types of helmets for uh, the different kind of groups of people that are in the film. Uh, and that was actually something that they really committed to. Because when you, uh, when you look at a movie like uh, Prometheus or Alien Covenant, right? Those characters took off the space, space helmet like almost immediately. By the way, terrible mistake for both groups of people, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's like, yeah. well, if you just kept the space helmet on, you wouldn't have inhaled the alien spores, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And But they take it off because it's a lot easier to shoot, to, to not have to deal with a helmet on the face. Actors yeah. don't like having helmets on their face. It's, you know, it's, there's reflections you have to deal with, uh, and it makes aud- capturing audio a challenge. But these guys who made Prospect freaking committed to it, man. Like yeah. they're like the characters wear helmets virtually the entire time, yeah. 
And, hashtag and, and, helmet life. Yeah, yeah hashtag <laughs> in, in, a, in a situation where it would make sense for them to actually do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they so, look cool. They are they are visually different from anything I've ever really seen in a in a sci fi movie. And and the, all the costuming is really interesting and, and feels functional. Yeah, it's like yeah. The, you know like the first Star Wars movie where everything feels kind of grimy and used. Yep, that's yep. that's how this movie feels too. It's it's cool. Agreed, agreed. So anyway, check out the YouTube video, uh, but also check out the movie Prospect. On it's also. Video. It also proves that a, uh, a a science fiction movie can be ninety minutes. <laughs> Ooh, you know what I'm saying? It was good. It could be. You don't have. To I be mean, two we and can't and a half even hours. keep. We can't even keep our podcast episodes to ninety minutes, Jeff. So. Well, who would want that? Yeah, come on. Agreed. All right. Well, before we get to our review of Joker, we got to thank our donors for this week. A uh, few donor messages to read out. First of all, Dylan G donated this week from Portland. He wrote in, "Thank you, Jeff Devendra, and that one other guy." For all you do and all you put nice. into this crazy venture that brings so much joy to many. P.S. I heard Jeff lives across from a theater. Did you guys know that? Question. Yeah, how did he find that out? Yes, it's, weird. it's true. Uh, by the way, several people also wrote in about my comments on AMC Stubbs A-List last week. And they said, the, so what you need to know about AMC Stubbs A-List is this. Uh, if you ever want to cancel from AMC Stubbs A-List... Uh, you cannot do it from the app. You need to do like a customer chat or you need to email them. But people generally reported that it was not a difficult process. Uh, and I think there is a six-month period where you cannot subscribe again. It's called um, punishment. It's called punishment. That's right. They need you, you. They want you to think about your crimes. But yeah. in reality, it's just so you can't. And like, any other line for you, six months. You can't like unsubscribe and then like, re, oh hey, Joker's playing. I want to go see that. Subscribe again. Like they don't want people to do that, right? Right. Um. So just so you know, you can actually leave the AMC sub list. Who would want to? But if you do, you got to be out for a little bit. And I'm pretty sure when you get back in, you need to do it for a whole year at least, right? So anyway. Uh, thanks for writing in about AMC Subs A-List. Of course, you can always write into us at slashfromcastgmail.com. Okay, moving on. Um, an anonymous uh, donor in New Jersey writes, Your guys' podcast is what I imagine it would be like if any of my friends went to the movies more than once a year. Keep up the good work, and thanks for justifying my A-List membership. <laughs> um, so thanks to Anonymous in New Jersey for that. Uh, and... Also, uh, so thanks to everyone who donated. Thanks also to the people who subscribed at the rate of $2 per month. Uh, thanks to Tao Vu, Joshua Pohl, and Brandon Lane, who writes in, This podcast is my cup of coffee in the morning. The feeling of gratification I get by my fiancé's bemused smile after I excitedly tell her one of Jeff's limericks. It is the opposite feeling of whatever watching Slackers is and so much more. Yes, <laughs> that is the highest praise. You guys, <laughs> have, you. <laughs> you guys have been there through so much. It is honestly just like hanging out with your best buds. Speaking of best buds, I've since spread the joy of your podcast to my cousin, who shares the same enthusiasm I do whenever a new podcast of yours comes out. He and I are alike in so many ways that it's often joked that I'm his second wife. But since I can't legally marry him, I found the next love of my life in my fiance. In fact, we're due to get married next year, and I need a best man. I was hoping you guys could give a quick shout out to my cousin, my second wife, my future best man, Travis. I'd be honored to have you stand next to me on my special day. Thank you, wow. Sasha, for all the laughs and all the fun. You guys are sincerely the best. Wow. You know, second, second marriage proposal. That's right. amazing. You know, I've actually uh, done a couple of marriage proposal things on podcasts. Never had the opportunity to ask a best man to be a best man. That's mm. pretty rad. This is a first for all of us. So. That's pretty great. Uh, 
let's hope it works out for Travis and uh, this donor, Brandon. Can I say something that I probably shouldn't say? Uh, my <laughs> greatest, my greatest regret in life uh-huh. is that I will never be anyone's best man. Oh, I no, don't. You're everyone's best man. No, I, I've oh. never had a best friend. Isn't that oh. sad? Isn't that sad? And I never will. I never will. It's so sad to me. Why? But... What? 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 what the, okay. Well, you're first of all, you're blowing my mind with the first piece of information about never having had a best friend. But also, also, also Dan Trachtenberg and uh, yeah, and Alex are like uh, just just sitting in a corner. I've had. I like... have. I have. I have great friends. <laughs> I have best friends. I have best friends. But there's nobody. Oh, I've, you mean like the singular? Yeah, the singular I've never had anybody. Oh, oh you've had like, best friends, uh, but not. I have lots of friends. <laughs> I, I'm not. Don't bemoan. I'm not trying to bemoan my state about like I have lots of friends and I have yeah. friends that yeah. are life that will be lifelong that are my best friends in the world. Dan and Alex among them. Uh, but there's never been a person who was like Jeff. You are the guy. You are my best man. You're my best friend. I ne- I want to stand you to stand next to me. Like I've never had, I've never had that. Even as a little kid, there was never anybody like Jeff. You're my best friend. I never had a best friend. Well, I wish I had. I, I really it makes me genuinely very sad. This really does lead <laughs> us into Joker. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that is why I went on that multi-state killing spree. Oh. Uh, um, too soon, Jeff. Too soon. Sorry. Sorry. Um, but you know, but speaking of, but speaking of people guy. who go on killing sprees and bringing them to justice, that was my cool segue that you had to then. Steal. <laughs> uh, hey, Hunter, hunt a killer is our sponsor. And if you know anything about me, if you are my friend or my best friend, you know, I love tabletop games. I love, I I'm uh, DMing a Dungeons and Dragons show right now called the dungeon run. I love tabletop games of all shapes and sizes. And so when I got a chance to check out hunt a killer, I was so excited because Hunt a Killer is a tabletop game. It's a mystery, a murder mystery, but it's also like participating in a cool procedural TV show because Hunt a Killer is a murder mystery in a box, but it's also an ongoing serialized detective experience. So it's like you are members of the SVU or you are, you know, whatever, anybody, what a, a millions of shows you could pick out. You get to actually sit around and help solve a crime, figure it out, put the puzzle pieces together. And then because it's a subscription, the next part of the experience, the next bit of clues, the next chapter of the tale comes to you the next month. It's really, really cool. Hunter Killer is actually the fastest growing murder mystery subscription game. And it puts you in the mind of a detective. You, uh, you get these, these elaborate case files and evidence. You eliminate suspects until you crack the case. I'm so excited to dive into this. I just got my box, uh, the other day of my first one. This is the kind of thing like, you know, too often we're a show where we love talking about things we watch Mm -hmm. and I love watching stuff with my wife but it is even better, I think, to do something interactive, something where you're thinking about it, where you're working together to figure something out. That's why we love playing tabletop stuff together. That's why we're going to have so much fun with Hunt a Killer because we will be able to like dig into this mystery together, work together. It's a cool thing to do with your loved one. It's a cool thing to to do with friends, to come over. You don't, you know, you can actually do something interactive. You can put down your phone and have some fun. Um, it's, it's really cool. Have you guys 
done this before yet? Or yeah, you... it's awesome. And I think what's great about it mm-hmm. is like if you listen to the Slash Filmcast, you like dissecting th- like presumably you like hearing people dissecting things. You like dissecting things yourself, breaking it down to its components, uh, solving puzzles, solving mysteries. Uh, and so I, I think anyone who is a fan of this podcast or podcast like it would, would enjoy Hunt a Killer. And you know what? You're actually, even by doing this, you're actually helping real life cold cases because part of the proceeds for every box of Hunt a Killer goes to the Cold Case Foundation to help fund actual cold case investigations, which is pretty awesome. So right now, just for our listeners, you can go to huntakiller.com slash Filmcast for 20% off your first box. Hurry to take advantage of this offer and embrace your inner detective. That's huntakiller.com slash filmcast for 20% off your first box. Huntakiller.com slash the word filmcast. It's not just about catching the murderer, it's about the friends you make along the way. All righty. Thanks to Hunt a Killer for sponsoring us this week. Let's get to our review of Joker. Arthur. Does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. it just me or is it getting crazier out there smile though your heart is aching smile even though it's breaking that was from the trailer of joker the new film by todd phillips I'm going to read the plot summary here from IMDb. In Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck embarks on a downward spiral of social revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face-to-face with his infamous alter ego, the Joker. This is the Slash Filmcast and joining us today for our review of Joker. I'm a big fan of this gentleman and glad to finally have him on the show uh, for his debut appearance, Bob Chipman is a film critic for EscapistMagazine.com, MovieBobCentral.com, and he's also the creator of The Big Picture. He joins us today to discuss his review of Joker with us. Bob Chipman, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Bob? Oh, Dave, it's so great to be on here. I'm uh, I'm having a great time already. This is going to be fantastic. So glad to be here, guys. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into the review, I do just want to give a shout out to... Uh, like I've been watching Bob's work. I- I've spent many hours of my life watching Bob's work, oh, and yeah. I-, I was particularly <laughs> a-, a fan of. Um, I think you did a f- uh, four-hour-long video takedown of Batman <laughs> v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Is that right? Uh, yes, I did. I did do a, a four-hour uh, analysis, analysis, a fair-minded <laughs> analysis of and, uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And how many uh how many of your critiques of that film did you have to leave out to make it down to 4 hours? <laughs> a few, a yeah. few. It was it, it was supposed to be one thing and it uh, rewatching it, I just kept writing and just kept uh having to cut it and cut it to make it a longer thing cuz I was like, there's no act structure to this. I have to keep going. I have Release to keep going. Release the movie Bob cut. <laughs> <laughs> Release. 
I actually did. It's it's not on YouTube because Warner Brothers copyright struck the uh, the full version. But you can find uh, on Vimeo the uh, is that how you, is it Vimeo or Vimeo Vimeo Vimeo. I, Vimeo. I, don't yeah. Yeah. I, I really I really would like it to be Vimeo. Yeah. That would Vimeo be. makes it sound so fancy. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even friggin' know anymore. But the uh, the full version of that is on 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 Vimeo as uh, Batman v Superman. Really that bad the snide er cut mm, so nice. that 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 is on there well uh which i'm not proud of the pun but i am proud of the work I, I, so i watched every minute of that analysis and i just want to say that like it really genuinely did help me process my feelings on that movie like i i think the world is still recovering from that movie and yeah. uh it really did help me like come to terms with hey like we had we basically had probably the only chance we're going to get of seeing a Batman v Superman, our generation, or at least for another, like, I don't know, 10, 20 years. And, I'll give uh, him five. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And uh, and watching that that uh, four-hour-long thing really did help me. So anyway, I strongly recommend it. You can just Google Movie Bob Batman v Superman to find that uh, that <laughs> video essay. Um, but uh, Movie Bob, or Bob Chipman, is joining us today to talk about Joker, uh, which uh, he's published a review for this film at escapismagazine.com. So... Bob, what were your thoughts going into this movie? I mean, I think there's uh, there's been an interesting discourse around the movie. There's like uh, a rapturous response coming out of Venice, right? Venice Film mm-hmm. Festival, where yeah, it was- won the 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 top award, the Golden Lion at Venice. Yes, uh, and then you know, it, it rapturous. Everyone's like, "This is amazing!" And then, uh, of course, the reviews have come out, and they've been much more, let's say, muted. Some of them have been outright slams. Mm-hmm. Um, so amidst all this, you go in to see the movie. What were you expecting and what did you think of the final film? Well, I went in expecting to be really interested. Uh, I, I When they first announced this, I thought, wow, that is the most interesting version of something that normally I would have no interest in at all. Because I'm so sick of, in general, the, the grim and gritty comic book movie thing. Because mm-hmm. it's been a thing so long. I I really did think that like Christopher Nolan sort of like kind of reached the apotheosis of let's uh, not apotheosis. That's the wrong version of that. Wait, no, actually. Yeah, no, the apotheosis is the right version. I usually mistake that and say antithesis, but he reached the apotheosis of that with uh, the dark Knight uh, and just, okay, let's do Batman, but do it like it's a, a regular crime film and said, okay, yeah, this is probably the best version of that you can get. And he proved that by making Dark Knight Rises and realizing even he can't do it twice because that movie sucked. <laughs> and uh, and and then doing uh, so, I thought, okay, but wait a minute. Now we're going to take the Joker. All right, sick of the Joker. We're going to do a Joker origin story. Terrible idea. Joker shouldn't have an origin story. That's why even in like Killing Joke, Joker says, "Yeah, that's probably not my origin." But do it like a realistic thing in another version. Do it like a pastiche of two different Scorsese movies. Okay, bold, interesting. Do it R-rated and disconnect it from the whole Batman thing and just make it about, okay, what if Joker but a real thing because, like, clowns who kill people have been a thing, Ted Bundy and whatever. Okay, I'm interested. Show me what you got. You know, why, why the hell not? Let's let's see if we're going to do comic book stuff forever. It might as well become like during the Renaissance when like 12 different guys all painted this five, the same like five or six Bible 
scenes and you got like a million different versions of the Pieta and it was like the subtle details told the story. Fine. Let's see it. Let's see it. And then I go to see the movie and about like four or five minutes in, I'm like, uh, you, you don't actually have any ideas, do you? Uh, <laughs> uh, boy, this is going to be long. And, you know, by now, by, by this point, you know, we've already had, it's won the golden lion. And now, you know, a dozen thousand fanboys have now one found out what the golden lion is for the first time in their lives <laughs> and have now decided that, that it is like the most important film award in the world and proves everything wrong and are now going to throw their gorilla shit at everything. Am I allowed to swear in here? Yeah, that's cool. Okay. They're going to throw their gorilla shit at every like film critic in the world that has anything to say about it. Uh, in slightly negative terms because they've already decided that this is magnificent because now it's got a golden lion on it and it's a cudgel to hit people with in this stupid DC movies versus Marvel movies versus whatever internet war. And so I'm just sitting there going, okay, just, just let this be good enough that I can give it at least like a five out of 10 <laughs> and move on to the next thing. Just get to the end of this and at least don't have him like monologue to an audience and therefore the audience about what the point of them. Oh, you're doing that. Okay. <laughs> fucking fine. Okay. At least get to the end of the movie and don't do the one stupid thing. I oh, you're doing that. Okay. All right. Fine. F you. And uh, it's, it's a movie that is trying really, really hard to look like it's about things and it's not actually about things but it's got the texture of being about things like it's referencing real world events and historical events, but it's disconnecting them from their original purpose and not actually grafting them onto a new purpose. It's taking these two Scorsese movies and it's only looking like them. It's, and I've used this metaphor too many times and it's turning into a bit and I'm sorry, but I can't think of any other relevant comparison. It's the movie version of, of those pop culture mashup t-shirts at like a mall kiosk that you see where where you're walking by them and you look and it's like the 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 poster for the godfather with the cast lineup and then you look again and it's the cast of family guy and at first you go Haha, oh that's cute and then you think wait wait a minute wait a minute is that like is that actually satire or commentary? Like, is that saying anything about Family Guy or The Godfather? Or is that just two things I recognize smushed together for, like, no reason just to, like, skirt a copywriting? And it's it's like that. It's like, yes, I, like, if I saw just a poster online that someone had taken Travis Bickle and painted the Joker over him in, like, the style of that poster, I would go, huh, Hey, that that's kind of clever because they're both criminals. And in my head, I could imagine like, yeah, a movie where, where the Joker's origin is Travis Bickle's origin. Yeah. OK, that's kind of a thing. Sure. And then like this movie plays out a version of that, but without anything actually underneath it to to make that the theoretic, the hypothetically interesting movie that might be under that isn't actually underneath this. Mm. And it's not interesting enough for me to be mad at. But if people keep insisting that I should find it interesting, I'm going to be mad at that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, that's analogy yeah. of like the 
the t-shirts are just like is it just two things combined or is it something that actually provides an interesting commentary on those things uh, and obviously people have differing opinions on whether that's the case but let me go to Devendra what are your thoughts yeah. on Todd Phillips Joker I will say just following up on that the the movie poster and pop culture combination thing uh, I think Carol Grant's tweet from over the weekend probably encapsulates this movie best for me um she says you've seen great films by fantastic directors be reduced to college dorm room poster movies mm. a clockwork orange scarface pulp fiction fight club what joker presupposes is what happens when you set out to make a college dorm room poster movie on purpose <laughs> so that's so good yeah. yeah that's it that's that's it that's this movie um bob i feel like i i'm right there with you for much of this i really I was excited by the post well, by the trailers. I was excited by the idea of this. Joaquin Phoenix can do no wrong uh, to me. And I think he's tremendous in this movie. Like he he really gives it his all. I, I think this movie has a lot of like fantastic elements to it. Um, there are some technical aspects to it that I think are are really interesting. But it also feels like this movie is trying really hard to be to assume the identity of something that's meaningful, um, something that perhaps is Oscar worthy or worthy of you know the palm lion or something um it, it is it's a movie acting to be important and meaningful and i don't think it it really is any of that um to me I, the, the, the thing that got me really early on is like it just feels like i'm, I'm gonna say it, like this movie feels like it's up its own ass like this mm. is a movie that wants you to believe it is all these things um it is this dark and gritty retelling of the Joker story. Um, it is trying to engage. Yeah. The dark and gritty Joker story. Like let's, let's get that, but let's make it more real too. Like it's trying to engage with all these real world uh, issues, uh, but I don't think it, I think it brings things up. I don't think it engages with them. I don't think it does anything with them. And the movie goes someplace where I think um, you literally just have to assume like the citizens of Gotham city, or at least a big chunk of them are just idiots. And that's, mm. that's why this is all happening. Like nothing really makes sense. Nothing means anything. And I think the uh, it just felt really tedious to me. Like it yeah. felt like we were watching bad things happen to Arthur Fleck for a long time. It didn't really mean much. Uh, the system is bad. You, you, you can kind of see how somebody feels beaten down by a world that just doesn't really give a shit about him. But I don't think it does much with any of that. And then it feels like an excuse to end up where the movie ends up. I have issues with how this movie handles mental illness as if yeah. that is an excuse for like th this could th this could be a thing that happens if society takes away somebody's medication. Like there, there's a lot of things here. I think my ultimate thing is um, I, it is a bad idea to give us a very clear uh, rendition of the Joker backstory. I think he works best when he is a complete agent of chaos like the, the Dark Knight thing the whole reason that character is so mysterious and intriguing is that he himself is giving us all these false, you know, origin stories. Like we don't know what to believe. Maybe he doesn't know what to believe. The Joker should be like the goose from untitled goose game. Okay. <laughs> he comes from nothing. He comes <laughs> from nowhere. He just appears and he fucks shit up. And I think, I think that's you... how that character works best. And that's not this, unfortunately. Devendra, mm. I think you just made a, mashup t-shirt idea <laughs> i did i did damn it damn it live long enough to make your own mashup t-shirt yeah <laughs> jeff canada your thoughts on joker well dave <laughs> i guess you could say my thoughts about joker are best summed up in the form of a limerick it's a joker movie despite not a moment of batman in sight but spend your evening watching this thing 
and you're still guaranteed a dark night. Wow. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. Right. I see. Well I see. You put the dark knight in there. I get that. Works at multiple see? levels. Yeah. yeah. Done. It's the N I G H T, not the K. Oh, N-I- okay. Thanks for clearing yeah, that sorry. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I agree with everything that has been said so far. I did not care for this movie. I do agree with what Devendra said. I think that Joaquin Phoenix is riveting. As always, the guy is, is a magnetic presence on film, and he does some extraordinary things here. Yes, he's acting with a capital A, he's acting underscore, he's acting, you know, th- there's no subtlety here. It, it is all full force, but I'm down for that. I, I love watching actors act. I, it doesn't always have to just be, uh, you know, in the in the realm of naturalism. He, he, he goes for it and he finds some things that I think are extremely interesting. I've never seen a person pull off laughing and crying at the same time to where you don't know if he's laughing or he's crying or at what point he's laughing and what point he's crying. And that's a, it's an amazing thing to watch. And it's a really interesting take on a character that laughs all the time that like the laughter is on this razor's edge of also being this torment. He's laughing and he's unhappy at the same time. It's a really interesting idea and he pulls it off somehow. Just watching that is extraordinary. He like finds a way for this character to run. That is weird. That is like a unique character run. Like most people, I mean, I guess Tom Cruise has a character run, but it's Tom Cruise, but uh, I don't know of other Tom Cruise run with like clown shoes. Yeah. Like he he runs like he has conscious on even when he's not wearing them. Yes, it is. It's a really cool idea. And all of these things, I don't know for sure. Maybe they're collaborations with the director, but it just definitely feels like something Joaquin walked in with and was like, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, And, and I, it's, he is interesting to watch. The movie is also made with a level of artistry uh, visually that is uh, effective. That is that is yeah. high caliber. It is a beautifully shot movie on a pure compositional level. It is a beautifully shot movie. It is a beautifully lit movie. Uh, so there are things about it that are uh, of, of, of a high skill and are interesting to look at. But I completely agree with everything that's been said so far. Um, I love what you said, Bob, about uh, it being sort of like the a, a version of the same painting, how we have superhero movies are the version of the same painting over and over. I think this might be the first post postmodern superhero movie. And <laughs> it, we, we are in the realm where this movie isn't a superhero movie in any sense, except its title. It is an excuse to make a different kind of movie because people will give you money to make superhero movies. Right. It has, it is not a superhero movie. This is not a movie about the Joker at all. Everything you know about the Joker, this movie doesn't handle at all. The only thing that is comparable is that this character laughs and puts makeup on and is a criminal. That mm. is the beginning and the end of the comparisons to the Joker. The Joker is traditionally a supervillain, i.e., a mastermind that can go up against the greatest detect, the world's greatest detective, and f- and befuddle him and twist him in knots. There is no moment where I think this character will ever do that. Right, like is- like Joker is someone who in, in the Dark Knight could choreograph, 
you know, yes. hospital explosions and like all the like crazy elaborate robberies and so on and so forth, right? And like, yeah, he's a, he's a super villain. He has a level of intelligence that is twisted by his sort of craziness and 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 that you know that Joker mania. But uh, it, ultimately, the idea of this character traditionally, and you're you know obviously free to to change it how you feel when you're making art, but traditionally. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it a superhero character, a, a comic book character, is that the Joker is capable of these incredible feats of diabolical mastermindness. You know, he is he has got a, a an intellect that allows him to pull off these capers. Right, this character, there's no there's no point where I believe he will ever get yeah. to that point. He Homer he, Simpsons his way through this plot. Yes. Basically. He falls yeah. backwards into everything that happens to him. And he is, he's, you know, there is interesting stuff that happens, but I totally agree with you, Devendra, that it is, it's, it's not a movie about anything. And, or I, maybe it was Bob that said that it is. It, I, I walked out of this movie and went, what the, why was that movie made? What was, what am I supposed to take with me out of that movie? What, what is its raison d'etre, right? Mm -hmm. Is it about mental illness? No, it completely punts on that idea. You know, Mm. is it about, is it about, uh, income inequality and the, and, and wealth disparity in, in America? No, it it barely gives lip service to that. It's sort of just like the most pat answers to it. it, There's nothing, it's not doing anything. It's just like showing you this sad tale. Am I supposed to feel sympathy for the Joker? I don't, I don't understand why this movie, why Mm. this movie, like I get, it's awesome to put Joaquin Phoenix in this role. Kudos for the casting, but, and, and I, I, there's something novel or, or kind of interesting, as you guys say about like setting it in the seventies and making it like a seventies movie and trying to actually capture some of that. But to what end? Like, what is, there's nothing, there's like, it, it, we'll talk more in spoilers, but this movie, it, it, I walked out of it going, why, why did I even waste my time with this? There's wow. nothing, th- there's no there there. Well, mm. I think um, uh, that uh, there's there's a lot to what you're saying about what the movie is about. And I think that is a central question for me. Uh, I think that the the problem with this movie for me is that what it's about is so vague as to be almost meaningless, right? And I would say it, the the cultural commentary is about as sharp as that Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial, like yes. you know where she like walks oh up and she, she she hands a Pepsi sharp pointed ke- Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial. You have these people who are like holding up signs that are like resist, but it's like well res- resist what you know like. And I understand. Mm. Look, like it, it, the the movie's message is basically like. Society shuns people who like there. There are like people who are downtrodden in our society. Um, wealth inequality is bad. Austerity measures are bad. You know, like that's that's basically as deep as it goes, in my opinion. It's it, so it doesn't it doesn't have nothing to say. It's just like the things it says are so kind of basic to me. It's as it's to be South like Park uh, teacher thing, right? Uh, yeah. Austerity is bad. Okay. Income mm-hmm. inequality is bad. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I, I've seen like, you know, a lot of people, I've read a lot of reviews, watched a lot of reviews, watched uh, Bob's review, you know. Uh, and, but at the same time, like, I see a lot of people criticizing this movie they don't like it very much. 
I actually do uh, like the artistry, like, uh, I guess just as an inner nerd, you know, like when you watch uh, Black Mirror episodes, you know how like in every Black Mirror episode, they like have to like reinvent the technology of whatever that yeah. time period is. And I always like geek out at that. I'm always like, oh man, like what's the UI look like in, you know, 2030 or whatever it is. Uh, in the same way, I really enjoy seeing like different incarnations of Gotham, you know, like I love seeing this incarnation of Gotham and it's like, it looks like it might've been shot in New York city, but it's like just different enough that it's, uh, that it's like, looks like it could be a different place. And I, I love just like the inner geek in me just loves seeing uh, a a place that we know from different movies and comics reimagined. So uh, I, I think like as an intellectual exercise, it's interesting. Uh, I had not watched uh, the King of Comedy before I'd seen this movie. And I actually watched The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver in the same week that I saw this movie. And that was a bad idea just because it's like, <laughs> it's bad for the soul. It's bad for the soul. But also, it, the movies are really difficult to tell apart. I mean, this movie is like if oh. King of Comedy and Taxi Driver kind of had a baby and that mm-hmm. baby was like adopted by the DC, you know, cinematic universe, right? Like, it, yeah. it the the elements it borrows from are so so multitudinous in terms of like plot points, in terms of like aesthetic style, even specific moments, like character moments from those two movies. Uh, that it's like I really started to question like what is this adding to the conversation because Nothing. like cer- certainly the politics aren't that interesting and then from a filmmaking perspective it borrows so heavily from those two films but uh, it is kind of just interesting because like like you said it is uh, Todd Phillips attempting to take the existing studio system which privileges movies that are based off of existing IP and that are based off of superheroes and comic books and try to turn it towards his own ends by, you know, kind of making this extremely dark, slowly, deliberately paced uh, psychodrama and kind of like inserting it into that rubric. Uh, Yeah, this movie made $90 million this weekend. It wouldn't have if the title was The Killer. Yeah, if it was, Mm, can you imagine if it was The Killer or if like 10 Cloverfield Lane was called The Seller, you know, like... (laughs) Uh, right. no, no slam on that movie, which I really love, but just like that movies being successful today are like so much about marketing and about existing IP. And so, uh, all I'm saying is I agree with a lot of your guys sentiment and criticisms. And I think like overall the movie's not that good. It doesn't have that much to say, but is it completely devoid of value? I don't think so. Just because I'm like, I enjoy watching like yeah. someone create that makes a new Gotham, you know, like I think that yeah. makes it worse. Like the, the fact that it's not devoid, completely devoid of value. You go like, why did you had something? You're clearly a <laughs> capable filmmaker who is able to, you know, create something really visually arresting and tonally interesting. And, and it's just like, it's flimsy. It feels thin. And, and yeah, it doesn't actually have any weight. The other thing I want to say that you that you, you triggered in me because you brought up the King of Comedy is I don't think I have ever seen Robert De Niro more miscast than <laughs> this movie. And it's like he was like, I just want Robert De Niro because he was in those movies and yeah. I want him to be in this movie to like connect them in some metaphysical way. So I'm going to put him in any damn part I can get him into. And it, it is so wrong. It is He is so bad for that part. 
it, it just like hurts me to watch him. It, 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 I thought he was completely fine. Bob, what did you think of Robert De Niro in this film? I, I agree previously. He's uh, it's it's symbolic of every other thing that's deeply wrong with this movie is that De Niro is just standing there like he's not giving a bad performance, but he's not doing anything other than being it's like when Mark Hamill shows up in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It's hey, kids, look, it's Robert De Niro. It's, <laughs> you see, he's 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 playing the Jerry Lewis part from the movie he's in. That's like this movie. Do you get it? Are, are you thinking about that Scorsese movie that reminds you of this? That was a good movie with stuff to say about media and society. That's what we're doing. Do you understand? It's, it's also a like- reference. It's also like, uh, you know, if you sat in a room and were like, hey, we want to cast a Johnny Carson type. Let's give a list of all the actors we can come to. You talk for a long time before anybody suggested De Niro. Right. It's not that's not what he does. That's not his. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where because I've seen De Niro be like a like an over the top glad handing kind of character, like when he's. In Goodfellas, when he's doing Jimmy's kind of like you know fake, I'm your I'm your buddy kind of guy. That version of De Niro's personality, yeah, that's a talk show host kind of guy. But here, he's basically playing, you know, like who who would watch this guy interview people on TV enough to to make this like a big a big deal? It's not like he's that funny. It's uh, it's it's not really like a, a verifiable. Like, why is Mark Maron not playing this part? Right. Other than other than That's the true. fact that he's yeah. not a reference to the king of comedy. And it's like I I also like agreeing with Dave. All of the uh the the, the no one to... likes agreeing with Dave. I'm sorry. No one <laughs> well, well the, the, <laughs> the, the 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 set dressing to make it look like clearly like more so than almost any other Batman movie. This is trying to look, this is trying to say, no, F it. This is this it's, it's Gotham in quotes, but it's really New York in the eighties because they're doing the garbage strike and everything. And it really looks like New York. Did they shoot this fan? Is this Vancouver or did they actually do this one in New York? This has to be Vancouver. There is some New York, like the subway stations are definitely New York. There were reports of him like running around. I saw this movie right above a union square on 14th street. And that's where he's running through. I think when he's trying to, either run from the cops at a yeah. certain point. Like it's a weird mishmash. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's supposed to be New York. And like, I, I appreciate like all the set dressing they did to get like the graffiti on everything and, and the garbage and the stairs and whatnot. But I'm also looking at it like in the night scenes and I'm going, okay, guys, I'm, I'm 38. So I know that yeah. outdoor lighting at night in cities was blue green and not orange because they weren't <laughs> using phosphate lighting yet. And also, you know, like the, I'm that, sure by we'll the talk- way, I, I yeah. love how deeply nerdy that is. Thank you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that it's, is it's, wonderful. It's just one of those things. Like if you go back and look at Taxi Driver or any movie shot in in the 1980s, like the one of the, like the the key visual things of switching from like 80s movies to 90s movies was nighttime turns orange in the 90s because they started using the different things in street lights and fluorescent lighting as opposed to like in the in the 70s and 80s nighttime was blue and green it's it's just how things looked mm-hmm. in urban environments but it's it's one of those things that that why does I'm sure we'll talk about this in the spoiler section why does this take place in the 80s other than to constantly remind you that you're supposed to be thinking about Taxi Driver. Mm. I also well, think that this movie establishes as canon that 
when Batman and the Joker actually face off against one another, the Joker's in his 50s? Is he? <laughs> because, like, I, I know Joaquin Phoenix can't not look his age. He's just, he looks his age. He, he's in decent, I'm sure he's in decent shape for his age, but Arthur is written like a guy in his early 20s, maybe. Yeah. Really? Oh, I was I was thinking mid 30s at the earliest. I mean, he he's not. Uh, how old is Joaquin Phoenix? He's, he's 44. Pushing, 44. Yeah. Years okay. Old. He yeah. he he's he's in his mid 40s, but like this character is written like a not that old man. Mm. Well, we we really got to move on to our spoilers, but uh, before we do yeah. that, Bob, I do want to just say, hey, you don't know what the uh, history of street lighting in Gotham City was, man. Maybe it's completely alternate <laughs> alternate totally reality. Um, I, I will say, by the way, like in terms of uh, ripping 70s and 80s in New York, there are so many other things they could be doing. Like, where are the random buildings on fire in the background? Like, which was a thing that was just happening. Like, the city yeah. was kind of a mess. And uh, to me, that would have painted a more, maybe a more a bleaker yeah. aesthetic. Whereas I, I think a lot of this movie just feels like you're living through suffering in a way yeah. that feels tedious and dull and boring. Like, here's the thing I love. Give me, give me a slow artsy movie, you know, yeah. give me something slow that where not much happens and it's plotless. I will enjoy the hell out of that. I don't know why, but the first half of this movie, I felt completely bored and that, that was a damn shame. Well, again, I do want to uh, say, I do want to say before we move on uh, real quick, David, I, I actually am a little bummed that we're all so close in agreement on this because I have good friends whose opinions I respect who came out of this feeling like it's the best superhero movie they've ever seen and loved it. So I would love to have a conversation more with, with, with that perspective because I, I don't understand it. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I think I'm the person on here that actually liked the movie the most. So I'll try to inject that into uh, the spoiler conversation. But before I get to that, Jeff, we got to thank a, a sponsor for this episode, right? That's right. You know, the one thing I love about the Joker, uh, traditionally, even in this movie, is his quips. <laughs> hey, that brings me to Quip. Uh, quip is my toothbrush. I love Quip. I've been using a Quip toothbrush for, I would say, maybe four months now, five months now, and I can't go back. I love it. And I'll tell you why that is. I am determined to take things off my mental plate to remove stress points, little or big. It, it reminds me of uh, endurance runners who take the little ends of their shoelaces off because like, oh, you take enough little things off of you, all of a sudden it, it adds up to a whole lot of things you took off and there's a lot of less weight. That's how I feel with my brain. And Quip takes things off my mental agenda. I don't have to worry about how long I'm going to brush my teeth. Most people don't brush their teeth for the two minutes that, that dentists recommend, I'm guilty of that. I've been guilty of that my whole life. No longer, because the Quip toothbrush keeps track of it for me. I don't have to think about it. I put it in my mouth. It pulses every 30 seconds, and it lets me know that I'm moving along, I'm progressing, and in fact, I'm so uh, anal about it, I actually use the pulses to tell me which quadrant of my mouth to go move to, so I'm like, oh, upper left, and then it pulses, and I go, okay, bottom left. Uh, and then after two minutes, it turns itself off. I know I'm done. The vibrations are uh, very quiet, so I can actually brush my teeth when my wife is still sleeping in our bedroom, which is really nice. Not like other electric toothbrushes are like, Wah. no, super awesome. It's got a sleek, intuitive design. I've, I love the little carrier that it doubles as a travel container and also will stick on my mirror to save me some counter space. 
I genuinely love the Quip. I have three of them in my house. I have mine. I have my wife's. And I got the kid's version. Kid's version has a smaller head on it and uh, bristles. And then the best part also is another thing I don't have to think about. I get a subscription and I get new toothpaste and and new bristles for my Quip every three months on a dentist-recommended schedule. Comes, It's super easy. It's got a cool little instruction on how to put it together. It's awesome. And Quip starts at just $25.00. And you'll get your first refill free when you go to getquip.com slash filmcast. Uh, It's a simple way to support our show and start brushing better. But you have to go to getquip.com slash filmcast. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash filmcast to get your first refill free. Go right now. Getquip.com slash filmcast. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash filmcast. Filmcast. Yeah, and that's getquip.com slash and then the word filmcast. Not uh getquip.com slash filmcast all one word. It's getquip.com slash the word filmcast. Right. Yeah. Cause you would uh, assume people listening have used an internet before. But you know, yeah, good good, yeah, to, good to point it out. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, thanks to Quip for sponsoring us this week. Let's move on to spoilers for Joker starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I had a thought while I was watching Joker that I have now spent a significant amount of my time watching the Wayne parents get assassinated. I don't know if you guys <laughs> had that feeling. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. But that was that was. You always thing. have to get those pearls in the air, you know. <laughs> Even though this one in particular, like the guy didn't care at all about the pearls, but like still has got to grab those pearls. <laughs> yeah, that was like a mental, mental note. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's in his checklist. Got to do it because it was in the comic. <laughs> yeah, Frank Miller's most important contribution to <laughs> yeah. like uh, the history of comic books is the the Martha Wayne pearls falling on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it did feel a little bit shoehorned in uh, bob i think this is one of the things you're referring to earlier you're like oh you're really going to shoehorn in this kind of like reference to the rest of the universe right i mean how did you feel when that happened i was well by that point i was writing it off because like i was just kind of annoyed because they'd gotten to the monologue and uh, i was like okay fine this is just dumb just just Fine, just get to the end. All right, I get the point. Yeah, okay, he shot De Niro. All right, great, fine. All right, we've we've done. We've we're we're rolling through the bits now. Just go, just go, just go. I I get I get what you're going for now. He he needs like the attention of a crowd, and that's what's going to turn him into the Joker. He was going to shoot himself. Now he shot the other guy, and now we're gonna, okay. Pull him out of the car and do like the crowd is riling him up thing. And <laughs> now we're going to do the right, fine. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Just go with it, go with it. Fine, fine, fine. Like this is the this this is the ending of fight club for people who didn't understand fight club and uh and okay fine just like i'm just please let me leave the theater i have to like go home and file a review of this thing for tomorrow morning so just just go it's it's written in my head come on let's go let's go and then the the way they they pan down and like the reveal that they're about to do this is that they sweep down uh if I'm if I'm remembering this wrong, please tell me. They pan down across the theater, and the Waynes are coming out of a showing of Zorro the Gay Blade. Yes, yeah. uh, which is like the most '80s reference in the movie because no one remembers that movie. I do. I remember that movie. <laughs> I, my dad had it on VHS, and I watched it. And I thought it was hilarious. It's hysterical. It, like you, you'd never make it, it now, but it's you funny. Could- 
you can't even watch it now. <laughs> is that even like? Is that even on blue? If that's on blue, I've got to have it. I mean, talk I, about I, talk <laughs> about a movie that doesn't age well. Woo. Yeah, that movie didn't age well some... twenty years ago. Yeah, what, that, what is the point of that though? Well, like, right? Remember in Batman Begins where the the actual thing they were watching was so symbolic to Bruce Wayne's like own like private fears, even as a child, like his own fears of bats and everything. It's this is just Zora the Gay Blade because ha, eighties. Well, because it's uh, in like for a long, long time, it was like a symbolic thing that that they were seeing the mask of Zorro, right? Uh, like the, the Errol Flynn mask of Zorro, and oh, that's why he's right. a vigilante. Yeah. So he's coming out of Zorro the Gay Blade, which who knows? It, so it, it, it kind of turns it on its head. It, it turns the entire like mythos on its head, very much like the rest of the film, Bob. Oh, yes, yes. It's it's deeply meaningful. And then some guy, not the Joker in this version, but some other guy in in like the clown mask thing uh, heads down the alley and shoots the Waynes for basically no reason. And uh, while the Joker is being born. So uh, now young Bruce Wayne, who knows who the Joker is, by the way, and knows his real name because he's introduced himself to him uh, like earlier on in the film has made a point to do so, uh, is now going to be Batman anyway. And I just kind of threw up my hands and said, well, F it. And because it feels like something that is a rewrite. It feels like something, because it's it's an insert and it's not really set up in any meaningful way because Bruce isn't like a meaningful character in the movie. In fact, the twist before this, like the twist within a twist, is that it seems like Arthur is important to the Waynes, and then he's not at all, and then it's all just bullshit. Yeah, I but, thought that was actually could have been a very cool, yeah, interesting thing. Like they, 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 if they had gone, they, they had had the courage of their convictions to say the Joker and Batman are brothers. Are we? Are we fully? Yeah. I, don't, I felt like it was unclear. I felt like the Waynes definitely were like, oh no, you're just a random adopted kid, and this woman is crazy. Uh, Whereas I think the movie leaves enough doubt where it's like, oh no, she she may have like issues, but there's something going on here. Like I there mean, was something. Yeah, I I think the movie I, I think the movie has some ambiguity, but less than I would have preferred. When he actually visits the the Arkham Asylum and gets co- sort of corroborated evidence on how she abused him, and like like she she is not. I think the movie comes down on the side that she's, uh, you know, the, the problem. Is right. she? But abu- that doesn't that doesn't negate like anything that could have happened before. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it, it's, it's, it I, I think it's a hundred percent true that like he was horribly abused as a child. Yes. right. Like that's yes. not in dispute. But whether or not he's Thomas Wayne's son, I think the movie leaves purposely ambiguous. Um, well, but but Bob, ah. what do you what what do you think of this? Well, I think it's a. I I don't think he's. I think it's pretty clear that he's not supposed to be Thomas Wayne's son because it's a succession of reveals. I and agree. For for people who who have not seen this and are listening to the spoiler section anyway, good on you. By the way, uh, <laughs> normally I don't say that, but uh, the the idea here is that midway through the movie, he's taking care of his sick mother, uh, and who is clearly not in her faculties. And he has what they don't say it, but he's supposed to have pseudo bulbar affect and thank them for not saying that so that uh, people with that condition where you laugh uncontrollably for no reason uh, don't have to go through the rest of their lives being associated with this movie um, is that which you can get from uh, bad head trauma. Apparently, that's a, I guess that's real. Uh, he 
he he discovers that she has been writing to Thomas Wayne, who's running for mayor, to beg him for help because Arthur is his illegitimate son. And while investigating this, he finds out that she, like him as a younger man, was locked up in Arkham Asylum for developing a fixation on Thomas Wayne, whereby she adopted a kid who is him and invent and hallucinated that this was Thomas Wayne's uh, son. Uh, and actually, because she didn't really give a shit about the kid, was letting her shit boyfriends beat the kid. And this is why he has a brain injury, which has given them this condition that makes him laugh uncontrollably and has made him like an outcast and has turned him into the Joker, basically. Uh, during the course of the movie, he seems to have a functioning adult romantic relationship with a neighbor played by Zazie Beats from, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, from uh, Deadpool 2. Uh, he then goes home after discovering this uh, to meet her in her apartment, and it turns out she has never really even spoken to him, and he has also developed an imaginary relationship on her, thus confirming that he suffers from the same basic hallucination tendencies as his mother right. had on Thomas Wayne, which more or less signals to him, oh, okay, I'm fucked up in the same way she's fucked up. Uh, he's also confronted Thomas Wayne, who's also told him flat out, no, I'm not your father. Uh, he's, and this is the thing that kind of snaps him over the edge. He's off his medication because they've cut uh, social services in Gotham City, because even though it's set in the 80s, all of its political references are to things happening now because the time setting is pointless because the movie has nothing to say. <laughs> and uh, and he puts on his makeup and becomes the Joker and decides to go out and uh, kill Robert De Niro. Like that's that's yeah. the that, that's the plot yeah. of Joker. There you go. The, uh, the, 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 one of the moments that you referenced there in that summary, uh, that I remember now is, as having bugged me so much is that moment where it reveals that he was never actually in that relationship. And it does it really elegantly with a line where I can't remember verbatim what she says, but it's something along the lines of like, she says like, you're uh, that guy from down the hall, right? Or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That, or yeah. Something along those lines where it's like, Oh my God, she, that was never. And then the movie goes, Oh, you're not smart enough to actually put that together. <laughs> so let me show you Yeah. in a very explicit. She's there. No, she's not there. And I was like, have you seen not... the success? Let's yeah, see. Yeah. It, just, yeah. it made oh. me, it, I was so disappointed that it felt the need yeah. to be, that on the nose about. I think it. I'm the only guys... I'm the only person in the world I think that actually <laughs> enjoys. Like I've seen so many reviews of saying like, "Oh, those are so dumb." Those flashbacks. I actually like those because otherwise I'm thinking to myself, "Well, wait, was she just like not there the entire time? Like, yeah. who is he You'd talking have to, to?" Imagine and... it for yourself, Dave. <laughs> oh, who is he talking to and laughing with in the cafe? You know, like, and so uh, that I'm always going to be wondering. I like it when the movie yeah. shows you that, but I understand everyone hates that. So, what do you guys think happened at the end of that scene? By the way, because I feel like it. Did he just like? Oh yeah, murder the her? movie never reveals what happens to her, which I feels yeah. kind of shitty. Like it feels yeah. like if you're gonna be this crazy ballsy, I don't know, uh, cynical ass movie. Like it feels like they implied that with the uh, the police sirens when he gets back to his apartment, but I couldn't yeah. really tell. And I felt the same way about the uh, well, the final bit, which was kind of I guess a, it was a subtle murder, a very elegant murder for yeah. Joker to end out and end on the titles. It feels like. At certain times, this movie also, I don't know, just just can't handle certain things. Yeah. What the fuck is the end of this movie? <sighs> yeah. What the fuck yeah. is the is the is the cut to him incarcerated and then dancing down the hall? What it, what even is that? What am I supposed to take away from that? Oh, oh, don't worry. He did get captured eventually. 
What is he get that- captured? He murdered but, the lady, you know, yeah. interviewing him. They're chasing Who, him. And this way, dance yeah. will go on forever. Is, is, uh, is the lady interviewing him the same woman who's his social worker? No, it's a different woman. It's a different, it, it's okay. a different She looks different like woman. she has old age yeah. makeup on to me. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, but, it's because for a minute there, I thought, wait, is are they about to do a this is all in his head thing so that they can do the line about the origin being multiple choice? Yeah. And, well, and, and, and then they didn't. I but, do think it is ambiguous. Yeah. Like that's the thing is, you know, the movie is ambiguous about many things. You know, Bob, you you summarized I think quite well the arc of the film seems to indicate that he's not Thomas Wayne's son, but yeah. at the same time he he also finds that photo, right, of his mom and it says like love your smile signed TW on the back. Um so is it and and I actually kind of like I, I'm kind of torn. Like some of the ambiguity, I like. I like that ambiguity. You, you don't know whether or not uh, it's real or not, and like that's a very disorienting experience. Um, I don't like that we don't find out what happens to Zazie Beats' character. That feels, yeah. a, as you said, really shitty, Devinder. Like um, it, it just is like that's the only other character in this movie that we have anything invested in, and you know you're not even going to reveal like what happens to her. That kind of sucks. Um, and then the ending. I mean, I think the very last shot of this movie opens up the question of whether everything we have just seen is all in Arthur Fleck's head. I, uh, uh, yeah. You know? I, yeah, uh, go ahead, Bob. Oh, sorry. I I feel like I've been trying to, because it looks like there were reshoots on this. It looks, I, I, I don't remember hearing if there were, but I remember hearing that the script for this was just pitch, when they were first doing this, that, that it was pitch black and completely upends the mythos and that there's things in here that we're going to outrage like Batman fans and that the fans especially were going to burn the screen. And I, if like, if you had asked me before I saw this, like, and before they made it, what was, and I knew like the broad details of what this was, what are like the, the missing scenes that we didn't see or the stuff they didn't shot, they didn't shoot. I would say that like the the reshoots or fixes, the two that I would be that I would lay money on having been in here at one point would be uh Zazie Beats getting killed. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that because one, she has a daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh I really feel like they are leaving like a the the whole thing with Bruce being around at the end of this is like uh a backdoor thing where, okay, just in case this is a giant hit, we need a backdoor so that we well, can back up. The, the, the Batman yeah. is coming in two years. Exactly. Right? So, although, so although it's yeah. been explained that he will not like this Joker will not be in that universe, is my right, understanding. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. this 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 Joker will not be in that universe. Spider-Man will not come back to the Marvel movies, Blade will not be another movie yeah. again. Yeah. You know, a, a million a million and one things will not happen that are gonna <laughs> happen anyway. I, I you know, this, you know. This 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 Joker will not show up again, and Hugh Jackman will never do a cameo in the MCU as Old Man Logan, and uh, that all, 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 you know Deadpool will never show up in one of the Marvel movies either. This is everything that will make them money will happen. Every one of us sitting right here who doesn't get hit by a car or something and lives for another like fifteen to twenty years will live to see the Star Wars Marvel crossover. So just get used to it. All right, well, fair, fair enough. It's, it, it's yeah. all going to happen. The the missing scenes that I think are will be there will be Zazie Beats dying and Bruce Wayne getting killed instead of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Hmm. Huh. 
I think what? that would have been the scene that would have been the, yeah, look how edgy we are. Bruce Wayne died. That's how you know this is an alternate universe. And I, it would not surprise me at all. This is a little more unlikely, but like if they decide, oh, Joker made a billion dollars and now no one's going to accept another Joker until another one. So we'd better back a dump truck full of money up to Joaquin's house. It would not, it would not surprise me at all if this vague talk about we're looking for a woman of color to play Catwoman is that they're looking at Zazie Beetz's daughter being the, the new Catwoman. Mm-hmm. It would not surprise me at all if there's not like a fanfic thing about that out there already. And Warner Brothers isn't thinking just in case this might be a thing because everyone loves continuity and universes and Warner Brothers is committed to doing a bad version of that. I actually would have dug it if if Bruce Wayne had died. I think that I would have liked this yeah. more. Something. That would be something. Also, if it was Joker in the alley, because come on. Come it on. is well, weird that it's not him. It's, it, know, it is it, weird that it's just some random dude, right? Originally, yeah. it is. It, it, it never was. That was that was a, uh, a that retcon. Was, yeah, that was a Tim Burton yeah. thing. I know, but I feel like mm-hmm. let's uh, first of all, we've lost so much of the great stuff from the Tim Burton Batman. So <laughs> give me that. Give me that at least. If you're talking about killing Wayne, you know, it's like, yes, okay, let's change things up back to that. I do want to say, uh, if you wanted to get the experience, all the best parts of this movie, just watch uh Walking Phoenix going down the stairs. Because yeah. That sequence of him going down the stairs for me, I was like, well, at least I got to see that. Uh, <laughs> that was an a, an awesome thing. Doesn't feel like it's part of this movie at all in any mm. other sense. Yeah. But it's like it's him, you know, channeling Jack Nicholson from the Tim Burton movies. Yeah, and uh, you know that dance that with the with bat dance and the Prince soundtrack dancing. It, it, that it feels like him doing that. And it's the only time in the entire movie the movie has any fun. And I'm like, oh, look, fun. Oh, uh, that was fleeting. Um, but uh, it, it is uh, it's a really great sequence. And he does that so well. It's it's so such a cool, weird series of, of physical movements. It's cool. I, I want to get talked about doing dance training, I guess, at some point uh, earlier in his life. Um, yeah, to, like when he started doing that in the bathroom, it was just it was just weird. But yeah, OK. Yeah. Yeah. Why does why does he dance when he like why is that his thing? Did did he mention that he liked dancing or something? Not in the movie. Was, was, was that so, was yeah. that like a thing? Because because like when he the the two times that he does his oh I'm the Joker now thing is he yeah. starts doing like this dance stuff and it's like what why is that like a thing for him? Well, there's that it's, whole sequence where he's like oh you're quite the dancer oh am I and he's always watching musicals and dance stuff so there's some seeding of that yeah. a little bit but I don't it's. Know. It's one of those like it's sort of like the none of these references actually fit into anything. It's like when he finally gets on the talk show and you're thinking, okay, now we can see what his Joker personality is. And his Joker personality is like this, like suddenly he's a coquettish, uh, like Mae West figure. Why? (laughs) Yeah. And then he gives that awful, that that awful monologue. Like that was probably the low point of the movie when he's like, what do you get when you cross an uncaring society? And I was just like, oh my gosh. It's a level of of self reflection that he hasn't demonstrated at all previously in the movie. It's yeah. like this weird perspective he has on himself. That's like, well, where did you get that from, fella? You know, yeah. like, yeah. And why why is he using like twenty nineteen psychological talk about himself in the mid nineteen eighties? Why is someone who says he's on set? I know that this is a stupid detail because it's it's a comic book movie and whatnot, but. They said he's on seven 
psychotropic medications in 1984, right? Seven psychotropic medications in 1984 is a hospital bed you're not getting out of. This, this is... This isn't like now where that's like stuff that you can just walk out of the pharmacy with and you're just kind of in a cloud for a while. Like he is more immobile than his mother on that level of medication back then. But it doesn't matter because, you know, opioids is a thing now and that's what we're doing now. And it only looks like the 80s because it's trying to be taxi driver for a reference. Mm-hmm. And he, he shoots the guys on the subway is clearly supposed to remind us of of Bernie Getz because 80s. Yeah. Like that, that's supposed to be the, the Bernie Getz killings, but Bernie Getz shot four black teenagers. Joker shoots four wall street guys, three, the three, Get- three white dudes. Yeah. Th- yeah, th- yeah. Th- th- three white guys and, uh, kills them. Bernie gets wounded four black teenagers. And this, and started off like a media mythology about a subway vigilante and being the real life, uh, Charles Bronson. That's what the media did. And then everyone found out Bernie Getz was a racist and there were riots across New York City that were black versus white because in in the 80s there were no class riots no one was talking about capitalism versus socialism riots in the 80s that's an occupy wall street thing that was a 10 years ago controversy right. but in the, in the 80s all of the riots were race riots that yeah. was the issue so, but like that that can't be a thing in here because we're doing now so it, it's just it's mixing political metaphors very irresponsibly to say absolutely nothing. Yeah, that, that, all, yeah. That, that's the big problem, I think, is that like, you know, uh, the movie yesterday came out a few months ago. And mm. I think mm. uh, when we were talking about that movie, Jeff, you, you and I expressed some frustration about how that movie seemed completely uninterested in exploring yeah. the true implications of its premise, right? Right. That what happens the thing, if the, it, it, it sets up something and then just seems completely uninterested in following through on it. In some <laughs> ways, uh, this movie does the same thing. I was reading Richard Brody's review of this movie at uh, the New Yorker, uh, in which he, he his review is entitled "Joker is a viewing experience of rare numbing emptiness," and he mm. uh, talks about how. Uh, in his opinion, like or as he sees it, this movie makes reference to a number of different uh, events in New York City history. The Central Park Five, which is an attack on an isolated and vulnerable white person by a group of young people of color. Uh, the uh, which is like that opening scene when they smash his head with the sign. Bernie gets uh, you know shooting four teenagers in the subway, and yeah. so on. And yet, um, uh, and then he writes here quote. Joker is an intentionally uh, intensely racialized movie, a drama awash in racial iconography that is so prevalent in the film, so provocative and so unexamined as to be bewildering. End quote. Like mm-hmm. it seems, it seems completely uninterested in exploring yeah. any of that stuff that it's bringing up. And uh, I mean, Joker because himself. Todd Phillips. I mean, yeah. come on. J- yeah. Joker himself even says, like, oh, he's like, okay, so you're you're behind all the riots, and he's like, oh no, I don't I don't go in for any of that stuff. You know, like he. The the character yeah. himself has no political. has no yeah. position whatsoever, uh, and I mean I I think the movie has no real position. Now all yeah. that said, all that said, I do want to say, in the movie's defense, which is like no one here seems to be uh, having any of, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Andrew Hag in the chat room uh, that we're broadcasting live from right now. Uh, writes here something that I really appreciate. He says, loving the snark, but this is the first movie in a while that has made me confront my own depression uh, and want to be better. The scene where he hides in the refrigerator expresses something in me that I haven't seen before, but is a genuine emotional fantasy I've had for years to escape my own pain. End quote. And 
I think that like that's what you get when you have an extremely powerful central performance. And I, I think everyone here mm-hmm. is a fan of the Joaquin Phoenix performance, right? Like that Joaquin, he, I will watch Joaquin Phoenix do any everything, anything, even though I, I feel like this is this is you were never really here. Just all over again. <laughs> it's Completely you, you, all over again. You were never really here, uh, the master. I feel like there's a lot of similarities physically and uh, emotionally with Freddie Quell, the character from yeah. P.T. Anderson's movie. But also the, the template of you were not, never really here is literally isolated loner taking care of his mother, you know, yeah. in a society like there. Uh, by the way, by the way, I kind of it is weird. How we were, I, I remember a lot of the conversation around that movie was, oh man, this is completely ridiculous. Child sex ring? Politicians? Rich mm. people? How much has changed in yeah. three years? There are two years. Madness. But all that said, I think that like the performance is really, really good. And I would argue makes like it alone makes the movie worth seeing. Now, that being said, I think like what this movie does is it's about I mean, I actually see a lot of similarities between this character and like incels from our real real world you know life. And this movie invites you to sympathize with those people, with the loners and with the people who do mass killings and who you know raise up dangerous riots. And it invites because you to say like, hey, hey, they these are pe- the victims. Yeah, they are the victims. Like this is what like the, the every effect has a cause, and like th- this is what causes these people to come into being. And that does make me uncomfortable, you know, because uh-huh. that is so close pat. to our reality. It's pat, it's pat and mm. it, it's extremely pat, but it's also close to our reality. Like uh, uh, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War invite you to sympathize with Thanos. But like, I don't, I, I didn't need to watch a, uh, a manifesto video of Thanos like right. after he killed six people, you know, in real life, in my actual day to day existence, because yeah. like Thanos is such a fantastical creature. Whereas like this character, I think people find, including myself, find so uncomfortable because you recognize portions of uh, actual real life disturbed people in this character. Uh, so so at the so I, I I you know it's it's trying to do something with mm-hmm. this character. It's trying to invite you to see their perspective. You can decide whether that's a valuable thing. You can decide whether that's a thing worth doing and how well it does it. But I do think it does the film a little bit of a disservice to say like it's completely meaningless and has like no purpose whatsoever. Does that make sense? No, I, I see what you're saying, but I think a lot of the things we laid out, like I, I mentioned, like it brings up things and this is an issue we bring up a lot in movies. Like, I don't think just bringing up something or, you know, casting a lens in society is kind of enough. You kind of have to engage with what you're doing. I don't think this movie quite does it. I feel like um, just seeing the sort of things Todd Phillips has made in the past, too. Like, he makes these, I I don't know, like, ugly movies. Like, he makes these movies where there's a distinct lack of humanity. Like, people are just assholes to each other, and that's, that's Todd Phillips' movies. And it kind of feels like that here. Like, he is trying to make us sympathize with this person i don't think it quite works um that you know like yeah this is the guy who made us watch who is it zach elfanakis jerk off a baby in the hangover movie because yeah. uh, it's, it's a riot like mm-hmm. i don't know if he knows how to actually engage with these things i think maybe this is like a reddit edgelord you know getting the chance to direct a movie about like 
their perspective of the world or something. So, yeah, it's asking a lot. It's asking for sympathy. I don't know if it's actually earning any sympathy. All right. Bob, I'll give you the last word on this. What are, Closing thoughts on Joker. And what do you think of what I said about whether this movie is defensible in any way? Well, I, I don't know that any I don't know that it needs to be defended because I don't necessarily think that it uh, has anything to actually say about those things that needs to be defended. Um, the idea of here is, you know, here is this thing that exists. Look at it, I think, is has a point as just existence when it's a documentary or like a docudrama like, hey, this is something that happened, putting it down for posterity. When it's a made up movie about Batman's nemesis, I don't know if it's the same thing, Uh, especially when it's only using it for like a, a reference point, because in the end, he's not that like the text of the movie doesn't actually agree with itself. Like when he gets to the end and he's ranting about it's society that turned me into this. And this is, it's like, no, because you're mad because you just found out that when you were a kid, your mom's boyfriend punched you in the head a bunch of times. And that's why you're like this. So it's actually not society. You know, exactly whose fault this like the, the, the actual moral arc of this movie mm-hmm. is Arthur Fleck learning to stop blaming society and start blaming mom. Hmm. And like, that's like, he, he ascends his, his act of growing up from the whiny little guy into the cool and confident Joker is when he smothers his mother and forgive the alliteration and emerges as the, you know, the cool, confident guy who can stride down the hall and go onto the set and give a speech and shoot Robert De Niro. That may not be the, the, the arc that they were trying to go for, but it's the movie they ended up making is that that's like, if you're, if you're just watching this without, you know, taking seriously what they keep insisting in interviews it's about, the movie is about a guy who blames everyone else for his problems, then finds out what the issue really is, kills the actual person who held him back, which was his infantilizing, emasculating mother, and then emerges as an awesome clown supervillain with a great big swinging dick. Like, that's the actual movie. And, uh, and like, I, I'm not, like, making a value judgment about that. That probably sounds repellent, and it kind of is. But, uh, <laughs> like, that, that, that is the actual movie that they've made. Yeah. And uh, so I – and, again, it's not interesting enough to actually have anything to feel morally one way or another about it. I was just kind of bored and annoyed. All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Bob, it has been an absolute delight. Going to ask you in a second where I can find more of your work, but appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. But yeah, let's let's take us to the end of the episode now. You can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger, and our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Bob Chipman, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? I am the weekly uh, film critic and uh, producer of The Big Picture on uh, escapistmagazine.com. My uh, hub site, which is uh, due to be updated a little bit, is uh, moviebobcentral.com. I'm on YouTube under MovieBob, where classic episodes of The Big Picture are now being uh, uploaded. And uh, really that good Game Overthinker and other series are coming in. Uh, Really that good Star Wars soon to come. And I'm on social media on uh, Twitter primarily at at the underscore MovieBob. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a thrill and a check off the bucket list. Uh, well, thank you. Same, same, Bob. And also, I think we're going to have to ask you on again for a movie you don't hate. 
Um, <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Um, Devendra, where can I find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about technology at Engadget.com. And we also just kicked off the podcast there. The very first episode is up. So go check that out, Engadget. It's real good. I listened. Mm. Thank you. Jeff Kanata. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also talk about video games on a podcast called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do The Dungeon Run, which is a live play Dungeons & Dragons show. Very proud of it. This last episode this week was, I think, one of the best ones we've ever done. It was awesome awesome uh it's it's called inferno and you can find it by searching on youtube for the dungeon run uh you can jump onto any episode uh, you don't have to start at the beginning um we also are an audio podcast you can find anywhere you get podcasts search for the dungeon run or you can listen live wednesday nights at 6 p.m pacific time by going to caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run and you can find uh, all my stuff at davechen.net i'm hosting a podcast called culturally relevant at culturallyrelevantshow.com. You can also find an Apple podcast at Culturally Relevant, uh, where I interview cool people, artists, filmmakers, uh, writers, every week at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Check it out. And also a big thanks to uh, Baby Zhang. Wanted to give her a shout out for editing this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Gemini Man. Gemini Man, the new Ang Lee movie uh, with Will Smith. Uh, Bob, you looking forward to Gemini Man? I uh, I am fascinated by the idea of Gemini Man. I have been watching that script get almost made and not made yeah. for like 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, I, I just am baffled that they chose Will Smith as the the actor to demonstrate Gemini Man because that guy looks like he has not aged in 20 years. And so yeah. the younger yeah. version of him looks almost identical to the older version of him. <laughs> that, that's yeah. why, Dave. That's why, because the technology is only so good. Right? It yeah. should have been, uh, been like Sean Penn or something. Just yeah, like, Whoa. I mean, like, choose someone where it actually would be, like, remarkable if they did a... I mean, we already saw Gemini Man. It's called Captain Marvel. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson played the younger version of himself. <laughs> anyway. Mm. Um, okay, so Gemini Man's our review next week. Thanks for listening to Sash Filmcast. We'll see you later.